From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're learning together to walk in the age of fulfillment as Christians. I'm your host, Sean, Sean, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, please help us to discern the truth from error. Forgive me and the things I say which are wrong. Bless the seekers who are seeking you in spirit and truth to know. And uh, let us have an open dialogue relative to the subject now. Bless uh, Seth and Wendy. Bless Kathy and Maggie and all those who help keep the shows going out there that we'll be able to uh, uh, continue on with the ministry as you would see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to talk about this just off the top of my head, but Wendy, what is it? How do they get to it? What's it called on Facebook? The Real Heart of the Matter Discussion Group. Look in the description below. The link is there. We want you to sign up and go to that. There are two things, actually, uh, and there are two. And there's two. One's a page and one's a discussion group. So get involved with that. Why? Because there is this hijacked discussion group out there that took our logo. They are under the auspices of it being heart of the matter, but they are enemies to uh, us. And they get on there and they just speak evil of everything that we do. So we wanted to establish the real discussion page group, whatever, and invite you to join it and get involved in the real McCoy and show them that the real deal is always superior to the counterfeit. Last week, we talked about the manipulation of three key passages of Scripture, especially in the King James, where the text was changed to support the man-made doctrine of the Trinity. Those passages are 1 John 5, 7, Matthew 28, 18, and last week we exposed 1 Timothy 3, 16 for what it says. Now, most know the facts about 1 John 5, 7. It's called the Johannine comma, and it says in the King James, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Right on the nose. Ding, 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 ding. And guess what? Um, Other passages that don't rely on that forgery say, and the Spirit is the witness because the Spirit is truth. Look at the two differences between those passages. One is a Trinitarian ding, 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 right on the nose. These three are one, and the other one is the Spirit is the witness and the Spirit is the truth. Now, uh, most scholars, almost everybody knows that the passage is a support of a man-made forgery to support the doctrine of the Trinity. And last week, we talked about 1 Timothy 3.6 in the King James, which was altered to make it seem like the Trinitarian teaching of God the Son was scripturally upheld. We talked all about that. That passage has proven to also have been manipulated. Some wonder, then, how the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28.18 was messed with. This isn't as provable, but I want to walk you through it really quickly. It's one of the most frequently cited passages in all of Scripture by Christians today, and it's used to support the missional work and, uh, and, and while endorsing the Trinity. Listen carefully to the passage as Jesus says, Yeshua says to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 19, before he ascends up, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember that. Go therefore and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Note that Jesus first tells them that all authority was given to him. All authority has been given to me, right? This is one of the reasons that I'm certain that when we pass away now in the age of fulfillment, we will forevermore see the Lord God Almighty as the one sitting on the throne, ruling over heaven and earth, and that all parts of the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will be captured or contained in the glorified, resurrected body of Christ. I believe the one God will be seen in the glorified, resurrected body of Christ, sitting on that one throne. That's, that's something I believe from the studies I've done. Note that Jesus says, all authority has been given to him. Then he says, go you therefore and teach all tribes, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There are three entities there. It's a plural. And teaching them to observe everything I, singular, have commanded you. So he starts off and he says, all authority has been given to me, singular. And then he says, therefore, go into all the tribes, baptizing them. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That line is the one that is suspect to me. And that's the three. And then he goes back to, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Trinitarians claim that Matthew 28, 19 is identifying three persons of their Trinitarian God. And this claim is often made by making a further claim that the word name, it's not plural there, the word name in the singular means that we are to understand, listen, we are to understand that these three are the one triune God that has one name. Okay, so you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons. They make the one God here, and that that one God, Jesus is telling his disciples, go out and baptize in that name. Okay, that's what, that's what Trinitarians are talking about. There's a name. So what is the one name? What's the name? Ask yourselves, what was the one name that Jesus tells them to baptize in? When we read it, you think the name is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the name is, is singular. What is it? Trinitarians say the name is God, is Yahweh, uh, whom the three persons together make one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit together, co-equal, co-eternal, making the one name God or Yahweh, right? But ask yourselves, what one name did the apostles go out and baptize people in? On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands before 3,000 plus Jews and he says in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8.16 we read, For as yet the Holy Spirit was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of of the Lord Jesus. And then in Acts 10, 48, we read, and he, Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they prayed that, then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Finally, in Acts 19, 5, we read, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Lord Jesus. So back to the Great Commission passage where Jesus tells the disciples who, that he has been given all authority 
and, uh, and it was given to him in heaven and in earth and for them to then go forward and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now ask yourself, that's what Jesus says in this passage. Why do all the references to baptizing people in the book of Acts by the apostles are every re- does every reference say they baptize them in the name of the Lord Jesus in Jesus name alone uh, and never never not ever in the name of Father Son Holy Spirit so we have Jesus in the great commission telling them go out and baptize in the name of the Father Son Holy Spirit and in the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. We don't have a single instance of anybody baptizing anybody in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have a bunch of examples of them baptizing in the name, singular, of Jeshua, in whom all power was given in authority. You see? Test this. Don't trust me. Prove me wrong. But doesn't that strike you as odd? And isn't it equally odd and sad that most Christian churches take what is said in this Great Commission passage, this reference to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and baptize people this way, rather than in the only name any of the other apostles ever baptized anybody, which was in the name of Yeshua. That's the only historical way we have them ever baptizing anybody. So were the apostles just disobedient to Christ in the Great Commission? Did they just ignore him when he said, go forth and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or did they know something different? Or perhaps was that passage uh, messed with? The scriptural facts show us that Trinitarians have imagined or imputed their man-made doctrine into the text. And they do what they have always done. They read their man-made doctrine when they read the text. When I was a Mormon, I read the Bible with Mormon eyes. I saw what Mormonism taught in the text. Couldn't help it. And and it wasn't until I was born again and my eyes were opened spiritually that I began to see that the text did not support Mormonism. Trinitarians do the same thing. They've been fed a basket of doctrine made by men. They take that basket of doctrine and they read through the lens of that through the scripture. Some of our great intellectuals, some great minds, trained people, uh, guys who, you know, spend their time defending the Trinity. They read Scripture through those uh, lenses, and they freak out if you don't see Scripture in the same way. They count one, two, three, and they tell themselves that Matthew 28, 19 is referring to the doctrine of the Trinity. They must then also suppose that this verse that we're reading, if it wasn't messed with, simply means God the Father. That's who Paul calls God, the Father, over and over again. God's Son, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, and God's Holy Spirit. You know, you could read that passage if it's true and wasn't messed with, and you could read it without Trinitarian eyes and just see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as God the Father, His only begotten Son, and God's Spirit. You don't have to read Trinity when you read that. It doesn't prove the Trinity at all. In fact, if it was going to prove the Trinity, it would say, and uh, go and baptize in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That would prove the Trinity. 
but we don't read that. So you have to come to the table with the predisposition of Trinitarianism in order to see Trinitarianism in the text. Through a fantastic feat of cognitive dis uh, dissonance, which is what they have, they imagine that these three compose the one God, because that's another part of Trinitarian doctrine. And by an act of their own will, they decide to label all three as the one God and instead of simply recognizing that the one God is one of the aforementioned, meaning the Father. The one God is the Father, and the others are His Son and His Spirit. Trinitarians must also assume prior to interpreting this verse that the Son is a separate second person of the one created God, and then also that the Holy Spirit is a separate third person of the same. So all of these ridiculous twists are erased by Paul when he repeatedly introduces God as the Father. God, the Father, God, comma, who is the Father, and Jesus Christ, the Lord. And uh, simple as that. Non-Trinitarians like myself certainly believe that there is a relational unity that exists between Father and human Son, Jesus of Nazareth, and the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. That there are three. Absolutely. But to me, the relation is the one God, the Father, was in His Son, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, as was the Holy Spirit. So there's nothing unusual about mentioning three in a scripture. It doesn't, doesn't mean Trinity. The issue is the nature of that unity and whether or not these three constitute one God. That's the thing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do those three constitute one God in the middle? Or does Father constitute God with Son and Holy Spirit being extensions of Him to the human race or through the, the Spirit? So, I do not see them constituting one God if the three are co-equal, co-eternal persons, and if the three alone make up the one God, I don't see that, no way. Besides all this, there's something kind of more unsettling in this particular passage. Here Jesus has just declared, all authority has been given to me. That's what he says. Then he goes on to say, go therefore and make disciples of the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All authority has been given to me, and based on the evidence, he would have said, and go forth and baptize them in my name, because all authority has been given to him. So you baptize in his name. And that's what the apostles did. They went forward and they baptized in his name. We have the evidence for that. But instead, he goes from saying, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and baptize in the name of this, this uh, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which they never do. So that is really interesting, uh, the fact that Jesus then adds after that, teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. So all authority has been given to me, Jesus, and then he ends with teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, but in the middle of it, they've inserted Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which the apostles never baptized anybody in. Isn't that amazing? That internal evidence is striking. 
The possession is odd as Jesus starts off with all authority being his and then he commands them to observe everything he's taught them. Why does we have this insertion of Father, Son? Additionally, the repeated mantra of Trinity has worked its way into the songs and therefore into the minds of billions, if not millions of Christians over the years. All in the adoration of this chimera God called the Trinity. Do you know the song, All Creatures of Our God and King? Uh, verse, uh, the verse, let uh, all creatures of our God and King. It says, let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Praise him, the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. Oh, praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah. 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 So there in all creatures of our God and King, we have the Trinity slipping itself in there. In the song, Come Holy Ghost, Creator Come, especially the second to the last verse, it says, Though thee may have the Father know, through thee the Eternal Son, and thee the Spirit of them both, thrice blessed, three and one. All glory to the Father be with his co-equal Son, the same to thee, great Paraclete, that's the Holy Spirit, with endless ages run emphasizing, repeating this doctrine of man in the hymns that these people sing. It, uh, in firmly, I believe, and truly, adoration A be given with and through the angelic host to God of earth and heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I mean, it just rolls off your tongue so simply. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It's in, it's in pop songs. It's in Catholic culture. It's in hymns. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. A part of the Anathanation Creed, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, right? And yet in Paul's letters, he never thanks the Holy Ghost at the introduction. He gives thanks to God, who he calls the Father, and his Son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he never thanks the Holy Spirit. But in the co-equal, co-eternal, equally important, equally powerful Father, Son, Holy Ghost mechanism of the Trinity, all three are equally heralded. And yet Paul never even mentions the Holy Spirit as something to receive adoration. It's amazing how far people have come because of the tradition. In the song, Hail, Co-Essential Three, Hail, Co-Essential Three in mystic unity, Father, Son, and Spirit, Hail, God by heaven and earth adored, God incomprehensible, one supreme almighty Lord, one supreme almighty Lord. The Catholic hymn, Holy God, we praise thy name, says Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. Three we name thee, while in essence only one. Undivided God, we, undivided God, we claim thee. That's why the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are undivided. They, it is one God, right? Three persons, separate, distinct individuals, one God. And uh, they go on and talk about bending the knee to that mystery. How about that famous song, Holy, Holy, Holy. I love that song. It's taken from Revelation, right? Chapter 4. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. There's one sitting on the throne and the angels are singing and the creatures are singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I think it's because it's the Lord Jesus Christ and God Almighty in one sitting on the throne. Uh, All thy works shall praise thy name and earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. They're having us worship this man-made thing. I don't like man-made stuff. 
I don't like it in Mormonism. I don't like it in Christianity. That is a man-made thing. I bind myself today, first verse, I bind myself today, the strong name of the Trinity. <laughs> what about the strong name of Yeshua? What about the strong name of uh, Yahweh? What? The strong name of the Trinity. God didn't give us that name. And yet we have the strong name of the Trinity. By invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three. So what is the true nature of God? He is the father of lights, invisible. He is spirit. He is a consuming fire. He is love. He is the father. That is God. That's who Paul calls God. The Father, plainly, clearly. His logos of the Father, his words, which doesn't mean just his words, it means everything about him became flesh and inhabited the man Jesus of Nazareth who was God's only begotten, only human son. And with God in him, that man, Jesus of Nazareth, overcame sin, himself, his will, his death, and was utterly deified by the Father in his only human Son, assuming for a time the right-hand position of God the Father. And this God sends his very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit from God, which brings us to faith in the Lord and King Jesus Christ. Since his ascension and return, that resurrected being, bearing the fullness of God in total, sits on the one throne as the Lord God Almighty. The one Lord God Almighty. I want to offer you some new hymn texts, some new lyrics for you to consider that have not been manipulated. I'm going to sing them to you with my own tune. I'm going to make these up. I have no idea what I'm going to say here. But the text should be the text of the hymn, okay? The first one are lyrics taken from my favorite, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, which where Paul says, or whatever verses, but sing the truth. Sing the truth. Sing the word and not the myths of man. So let's go to our comments from last week's show, and we're going to go back a week to the comments, and I'm going to just go through them chronologically. Seth and Wendy and Mags are going to try to keep up. And the first one was relative to an interview with Mike Norton. Hayemi Comfort, he writes, For whosoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. That's James, that's James 2.10. And it's a really important passage when it comes to people who think that they can justify themselves before God by the law by doing things that are obedient. James says the law comes as a package. It doesn't come in parts. You can't say you're a follower of the Ten Commandments if you obey nine of them. You're uh, guilty of breaking the whole law if you break one of them. And again, that's over the scope of a lifetime. So you cannot at the end of your life say that you were a law keeper if when you were 15, you stole something. When you were 15, you stole something. When you're 95, you're dying. You can't die and say, I kept the law because you didn't, because you stole something when you were 15. So the law comes as a whole and it either convicts you or it exonerates you. And scripture proves nobody can be exonerated by the law because if you break one point of it, you're guilty of all. I am a comfort adds for God to have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thank you. I agree. All right, Byron of Calvary, four hours ago, 
Where can we get a Book of Mormon translated into Hebrew? <laughs> Jeez. All those Hebrew names can be spelled out and explained as Lehi is in the Bible. Lehi is a Hebrew name that is of a place explained in Hebrew records and later in Greek. Let's see what can be done with Nephi, Laman, Laban, and Benjamin. That's an interesting thing. That's relative to the show called not anti-Mormonism, but not anti-Mormon, but anti-Mormonism. Relative to the same show, Ken, El Ken Olson writes, Moralism and hedonism despise each other, yet both are equally condemned by God. The hedonist follows the flesh. The moralist, in contrast, behaves, as they suppose, righteously to fill their own needs or to place God in the position of a debtor. Love that insight by Ken. Thank you. Michael Arturo, relative to that show, says, The problem with polygamy is if a man has ten wives, then there's nine single males out there, gang. Um, I don't think that's the problem with polygamy because we have a lot. Then the justification for polygamy would be let the polygamist marry all the single women who can't find a, a, a spouse, right? So I don't think that's probably the best argument, Michael. I think the best argument for it is you go to the creation and God created man and woman and it was one woman and it was one man. And, and that, in that human beings were the ones who created polygamy and God kind of went along with it because that was their choice. So I think that's the best argument against it uh, in my estimation. Wiper Hunter says, if someone today said God was wanting him to kill his son, we'd put him in a white room. That's why God didn't have us have an Abraham experience today. He had it happen when they were out in the wilderness and there were prophets and people experiencing all sorts of things. And that was kind of, you know, setting things up. And the fact that Abraham was sort of a rich guy and roaming about without many laws confining him, he could go and his little servants were standing there with the horses or the mules and he could say, I'm taking my son up. But he didn't tell anybody, I don't think, because he says, I'm taking my son up to, to offer sacrifice. And when we come back, Wait until we come back is what he says. So it doesn't seem like he said, I'm going to go up and kill my son, right? So I don't think Abraham told anybody about it. And I think it was in a different day and age. So I remember my older brother used to always say that, you know, that would be child abuse in this day. It's not this day. It was an appropriate time and people, I guess, understood it. Susan Clary on uh, the show, I'm doing my neighbor. That is where we talked about, you know, uh, sin. Uh, yes, even old memories are brought up by the old body or by familiar imps who know our past and bring them up. When we engage the old, agree with the thoughts, we bring up the old memory as if it's alive. It's not. It died when we died and we're born again. It's not who we are. We're made a peculiar people. The battle is to face God intimately and repeat to him the truth he says we are. I actually put my right arm out and I say, get behind me, Satan. Then my left arm, I point towards father in, well, this is getting interesting, in front of me and say, you've given me everything. I need to overcome all obstacles and I thank you. I will and thank until that battle subsides for I am a son of God and he has given me an inheritance. This person's name is Susie. <laughs> um, that is mine to have on earth as it is in heaven, and he will not forsake me ever. I have always 
I have what I need, always, always. It took me a long time to understand my identity, giving me the day I said yes. And Susie says something so important there, that in Christ, by faith, you are a new creature and you have a new identity. And it is not the former man or woman that is doing those. It is the former man or woman that is doing those things that are against God. It is not the new creation. So you have to start seeing yourself as the new creation in God. The former person saw this uh, vision in symbols. And when a Jew uses thousand as in millennium, it doesn't mean exactly 1,000 even. So uh, as terms of the 144,000, it's representative number that of the house of the Israel that was saved, he saw them. And then he also saw the others of the Gentiles coming uh, into the kingdom and they were all praising uh, God the same way. So 144,000 be the only ones? No. We met the host on Christianarchy Today. Can they find the link below? Christianarchy Today, there's a link below. We have two new hosts, a young man who's 15 years old and he's very astute, and another uh, young man who's 24 years old, also astute. And we sit here and we do a show, a talk show with each other about current issues relative to the faith and being young. And we did last week, we, we introduced the host and we're going to have another show coming out this next week. Well, uh, Sarah responding to that wrote, love this. May I suggest you guys discuss how to avoid cults and cult-like organization groups as younger people. I've been reading up a lot on what kind of people are most susceptible to cults and abusive religions and younger people are very vulnerable to them. Discuss. Yes, we will discuss that, Sarah. I think that's a great topic. And uh, I think there, we have some insights to that after dealing with Mormonism and uh, how they love bomb you to death when they want to bring you in. And uh, then as long as you conform, they continue to support you. Uh, someone else uh, talking about that show said, I would love to see Ethan, he's the 15-year-old, discuss Christianarchy with Kwaku L, who's a Mormon apologist that we had on the show years, a year ago. Uh, and then Common Sense Christianity said, I hope the opportunity to someday do just that. Kwaku L would have to be willing to do it. And uh, I would love to see that too, because both of them are uh, uh, black guys. And so I'd love to see what they have to say to each other about Mormonism. Conk on Meet the Host wrote, Christianarchy was one of the best Christian shows on the net. Whoo, what an endorsement, Conk. I shared it often with a lot of people. Good to see you back. Would love to help if I can. I'll try to shoot you an email sometime soon. So thanks, Conk, for that. Jordan Hartley on that same thing says, is that a blanket on his legs? <laughs> uh, I was cold in the morning last week when we taped the show, so I had my jacket that I'm wearing right now on my legs, and I took it off. And I guess between those two young folks, Seth was appalled at the condition of my legs, and he asked me to return the jacket to its former place, which I did reluctantly, because I find my calves rather beautiful and attractive. Um, Timothy Williams says, I think good things will come from this format, talking about Christianarchy today, I wish you guys my best and listen to God for his wisdom on these topics. Thank you, Timothy. And I want you to know, Christianarchy Today is a play on the words of the, on the Christian magazine, Christianity Today. And Christianarchy Today is to say, we don't necessarily go with what people say is Christianity. We want to go through a biblical, contextual, 
modern application of what the faith really means. That's why next week's show is, uh, this week's show, actually, it's going to come out on Friday, uh, is going to be about, what about Christians who don't go to church? That's going to be the title of the show, and we're going to talk with each other about Christians who don't go to church. You see, Christianity today would probably say, well, you know, you're not a very good Christian if you don't go to church, but we don't think there's any connection. At least I don't. We'll hear what our younger uh, hosts have to say about that. But that's what he's talking about. Someone's got to wake Eric up. He's snoring. Cheryl Miller uh, says, great show as usual, and you're right on the Trinity deception. Thanks, Cheryl. Stephanie Miller on Christian autism writes, I totally agree with the approach you speak of. On XES out of order, that's sex backwards out of order show, uh, yeah, Allah, please forgive me. Stop watching this, says Indian girl. I don't know why. San, what? Oh. <laughs> we, we have been infiltrated by, somebody has somehow attached our YouTube channel to people who are promoting sexual things and porn. These busty women who are, saying, get your fingernails done here. Uh, we don't, we're trying to combat it, and we wish you idiots would stop doing that because that doesn't help any of our audience at all uh, overcome our natural inclinations. San Fran says, I've been growing and understanding and receiving full preterism, and I've been in dispensational for decades. Thank you for your devotion to Scripture and not creeds or circumstances. Thanks, San Fran, for saying that. That was relative to Don K. Preston debate thanks to Wendy, uh, or Wendy Behind the Cage, uh, with Jason Wallace on the validity of preterism. Uh, relative to Christian autism, Fisty said, Fisty said, youngsters do not use Facebook. The only reason most youngsters have it is so they can communicate with their parents. I love you, Sean, but you are out of touch. Keep working at it, though. One day you may catch up. And my response to him was, I hope not. Um, I am out of touch with social media. I don't know who uses what. So uh, I don't feel I have a need to be in touch with that unless it has to do with us helping the ministry and I'm willing to get involved. And he gave me only a 2,000 word response to sort of clarify. Literally, you guys, when you get a comment and it's this long and it's citing dozens and dozens of passages, your agenda is is not going to be read by me, at least. You might have someone else take the time to read through all of that stuff, but you should get your own YouTube channel show and you should post those things and get them out there to people so maybe that you can be heard. Somebody's got to shake Eric because now he's gone into anaphylactic shock. Uh, Kiss Love XX. Wow. Indian girl, Indian girl. Wendy, how come you haven't gotten rid of these? These are all these porn people. I can't keep up. She can't keep up. Uh, on eternal punishment, end of the age is not end of the world. You are right. Seek, find. Excellent for that. And then in the Trinity Collusion Part 1, I embrace Christ by the Spirit that I know Him. All right. And uh, we're not going to read that. God is not your dad, Abman Reda says. I think he is a uh, Muslim. He also says satanic metal. 
Matt Smith, it's not what we want, it's what God wants. Uh, absolutely. Linda Kusner on the Trinity Collusion. I fully understand what your episode in the Three Candles. Why was it removed from the website? Uh, that was a show we did years ago when we were on TV, and I showed how there were three candles, and that was best my idea of how to understand God. Why was that removed from the website, Seth? We tried to remove programs that were insulting to the LDS relative to their temple ceremonies. That con uh, contained some of that, and so we took it off. But I can redo the, the, the idea of the Trinity with candles and uh, another. Maybe I'll do it next week and open up the show with that because we've been talking about the Trinity uh, recently. All right, quickly, let's wrap this week up. Um, is Jesus really that bad of a guy was a show? Ex-Bronco 1980 says, or Jesus never existed. Look at the work of Richard Carrier. He's on YouTube. Check it out. You know, check it out. Look at, I'm not going to go down the road of debating on whether Jesus existed or not. I'm going to look at something uh, far more substantial in my life. And that is, what does the fruit of Jesus in your life produce? And in my life, Jesus has produced something far better than I could ever conjure up myself. So I believe he existed. I believe there's evidences to, to support his existence. And uh, I think one of the greatest evidences are the apostles themselves losing their lives, following him and their witness of his resurrection. But in terms of Jesus existing, to go down that argument, I, I just think it's a, kind of a waste of time because everybody has some point they can make and they can stand on that point. My thing is, what does the fruit of Jesus uh, do in your life? That's the best proof of his existence to me. Jack Dawson says, I have a question about repentance. I may be one of the biggest fleshly sinners alive. Oh, Jack, you and me both. It sucks. I look at the world and sometimes it feels I, can go, I can't go a single millisecond without sinning in some way. Some people are like that. Some people don't have much, quote unquote, sin in their life uh, very much at all. But my question is this. If your flesh never catches up with your mind of repentance, my flesh more than goofs you than occasionally. Paul writes in Romans that certain works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. I've never loved God or people more since I found Christ's gift. I'm far from perfect, but never been more patient, kind, long-suffering with people in my life. Yet my flesh still sins. Sometimes I wonder because my, of my flesh that I won't enter the kingdom of God because my flesh isn't just a little away from my mind. It wins away from it wins away from it. Especially with some of the sins you mentioned. Am I doomed? I know the things I do are wrong, but I don't just slip. It seems like I tumble down the rabbit hole of sin. Jack Dawson. That's what the idea of identity in Christ is all about. You, Jack, are not your flesh. When you, Jack, die, your flesh is going to go into a grave and it's going to become corrupt. It's going to get really ugly and it's going to turn to dust or whatever happens in a grave, right? That's not you. So what's, what's doing the sinning, so to speak, in your flesh is that flesh. So that flesh is powerful, yet God allows us, His grace is sufficient for us to live in this flesh, doesn't He? He has a purpose for that. 
But that is not you. When you die, Jack, you, your mind, will, and emotion, your soul is going to go to God. That is who you are. And in Christ, that is the new creature. That's renewed. That's who you are. Your flesh is corrupt. My flesh is corrupt. Our flesh is corrupt. It will always lend to some extent or another, depending on your propensities and your genetics and everything like that, to your will. It's going to extend to selfishness, anger, judgment, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever your proclivities are. That goes in the grave. That is not you. Who you are is the new creation and you enter into the kingdom of God. Those people who have lived by their flesh only, the church of a mythological, unhistorical version of Jesus. All right, I'll accept that. Relative to has Jesus returned, seek finds says right on. He loves you, so stop it, show. Robert Saladino says, not trolling. I watched Sean around five years. Interesting take, but his weight gain should is alarming. Health is at risk. Robert Saldino, I want you to know, we did a show called Keepers of the Fat. If you can find that online, you got to watch it. And uh, what it does is it shows that when you saw me on TV, when I was thin and fit, that was from extreme uh, practices to keep myself uh, that way. Uh, my pride got a hold of me and I had people mocking my weight on, on camera live. And so I went on and I was eating a thousand calories a day and I was working out for three hours a day, rowing, running, biking, lifting. I was fasting two days a week and it, and it resulted in that look that you saw, right? But the natural uh, form of my body is large and, uh, and, and I look uh, really heavy and I am heavy, definitely. But I got a dad who's almost 89. He'll be 89 this next week. He's 360, 89 and 360. And he never worked out a day in his life. No health risks there. You know, so I think, you know, brother, I'm, I know you mean well, but people's body types, yeah. I work out six days a week and I'm doing this for people who are overweight there who have a weight issue in this world. I work out, I eat uh, no more than 1,800 calories uh, Monday through uh, uh, Sunday, Saturday, I give myself a day. And, and yet the, keeping down to that thin, thin way was unhealthy, brother. So I hope we could get away from that uh, and what we do to people because we have different makeups, different genetics. And, you know, bottom line, who cares? You know, if I think God is going to take me when he takes me. He hasn't taken my old man who never spent a day in a gym and he has all of his faculties. He's 360 and he is in a retirement home living it up. So what do you say? All right. Uh, Jerry Sears says yes to which church is true. Discussion with Matt Slick. That's show 519 comes up. Uh, Will Haynes. I don't get mad. I don't call them heretics. They are going to hell. I wonder if Matt, through all his scholarly learning, ever studied what the word hell means. It was a literal place on earth. We have so much more grace than most people realize. That's a great comment. My brother Matt, yeah, he's pretty uh, literal and Calvinistic and hell and all of that. Uh, and, and, and Will Hayes, he's right. 
The study of hell shows it was an actual place, Gehenna, there in the Jerusalem, outskirts of Jerusalem, and all of that stuff symbolizing afterlife sorrow uh, done away with uh, in Christ Jesus, in my estimation. Uh, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me will never hunger. That's on religious pizza. Someone said, great analogy relative to that show. That's Isaac Parsons. And thank you for that. And then relative to religious pizza, uh, Sarah Young said, what a great analogy. It's funny that you mentioned how you tried pineapple pizza and loved it because a lot of people would say pineapple pizza is heresy. She is so witty. She's witty. And, and, And Seth agrees. Seth says she's right. Uh, and then Tom Stallings says, love and miss you all. And, uh, and then we stop there because that's where we left off last week. So grateful for your comments and insights. Uh, I hope you'll make them on this show. And uh, we're going to get into some new things coming up next week uh, here on Heart of the Matter. In the meantime, watch your channel, subscribe, check on the links below because we have the new Christianarchy today that is being formatted and will be put out to you this next week on Friday. And we have some other shows that are being chopped up by Wendy. Of course, we have Heart of the Matter short on Monday night. We have Heart of the Matter long on Tuesday nights. And we have Campus Milk and Meat that is happening every Sunday. Uh, Listen, and in Milk, we just started today the Book of Romans, the introduction. So if you want to get into the Book of Romans and study it with us, it's going to take us about a year. Join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m., uh, on, uh, you can just go to YouTube with Campus Church or go on our website. Love you guys. Thanks for all you do. And we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.